welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one rail-hopping minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli, and Nick is still on vacation in Mexico, but joining us once again uh, is, is David Campo and Paul Montgomery. Welcome. Hey, we're Hello. back. <laughs> time crashers. <laughs> And today we are going back to minute 78, which starts with Marty continuing to approach the railing above Biff Tannen and ends with Strickland flipping through presumably the almanac, though, as we'll find out probably next week, uh, not so much the case. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is this is Marty going for it. Um, you know, he. He hops the railing and he's he's going to go for that almanac. And, you know, it's because right before he's when he reaches the railing, uh, he looks through his binoculars because he sees a car approaching that he finds familiar um, because it's Doc's 1955 vehicle. And uh, he looks through his binoculars and sees that it's himself driving Lorraine to the dance. And uh, this is this is, of course, Beta Marty. Um, arriving at the dance. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting thing that we've talked a lot about on this show uh, in this, in this particular uh, season, it started toward the end of last season, but this season we've really been talking about beta Marty a lot. And beta Marty is the Marty that was raised by the parents, uh, the, the specifically the George who punched out Biff Tannen in 1955. Um, that Marty is a different Marty because he had a completely different childhood and he's the Marty that we see go back in time at the end of back to the future. Um, when, uh, when doc is wearing the bulletproof vest, he should have um, a goatee. He should have a goatee. <laughs> yeah. He totally should. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's well, he being has a, a Marty. super nice truck in 1985. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's beta Marty. That's the Marty that alpha Marty replaces in uh, in 1985 because as we as we know from this film uh the back to the future franchise doesn't work like the butterfly effect movie it 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 doesn't he doesn't just he doesn't change his own timeline he created a new timeline and in turn a new marty um and as a result like the kelvin verse yeah yeah okay. basically um, and we don't ever JJ know what happens. Star Trek universe for anyone who's not <laughs> right. Um, and we don't know what happens to that Marty, uh, at this point, uh, presumably he goes to gamma, a gamma timeline, um, <laughs> following, <laughs> following the end of, uh, his movie. Um, so I'm not sure what's going to be different in his timeline, but, uh, the whole thing is, uh, it's very confusing, but. But uh, yeah, we do see. That's why Beta I like to Marty stick to here. like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when it comes to time travel movies. You know, yeah, it's easier yeah. that way. Well, I've always, <laughs> I've always, uh, I've always thought it would be really cool. It would have been really cool. I mean, it's too late now, but it would have been really cool if they had made another Back to the Future movie, a Back to the Future Part Four, in which Marty, this Beta Marty, was the villain. Uh, <laughs> He would because, have to grow a goatee, right? Yeah, yeah. And, then he would have okay. to grow a goatee. Okay. Absolutely. That's kind of a law. Yeah. The and then crisis of infinite Marty's. That's right. Oh exactly. my God. Exactly. That's um, got to exist in so comic I, book form. 
at some point it has to yeah i would say yeah. so um i mean we've got that we've got that back to the future uh ongoing comic now so mm-hmm. um, is it still ongoing oh that's yeah. so odd they should totally do that then yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's like this infinitely uh uh reflecting uh, uh set of timelines as you keep creating new marty's out of new situations if you, I mean, so if you set it's almost problem. an anthology series if you think about it right <laughs> Uh, and that's that's definitely that's how the the game actually ends with like on a on sort of like a on a very um, uh, like on to the next adventure sort of beat the uh, the, the, the telltale. telltale okay yeah the telltale video game ends on on that sort of like the way that the first Back to the Future ends with Doc coming back and being like you know something's got to be done about your kids um, a very similar thing happens with. Uh, with a multitude of, of older Marty's played by Michael J. Fox, um, who all like come back and, and, and say that things need to be changed and they're all like slightly different. Uh, and it's, it's like, uh, it's the, very confusing. It's like the, um, the multiple Reed Richards is in a uh, fantastic four. Yes. During the Hickman run, the Hickman yeah. and, uh, Eaglesham, I think. Right. Yeah. Right. Did, was Eaglesham on that entire run? No, no, Wait, who he was on, he was on it like pre FF right yes it, it, he, he they definitely announced that that was the team that they announced it was it was uh, right. Hickman and Eaglesham and then it right. switched away because Eaglesham is like but, uh, like you can do a monthly book for maybe a year or something but then after that you gotta switch artists up right um but uh yeah so I, I so we get we get uh we get our first real look at uh, Beta Marty in this movie, and um, Marty is uh, our Marty is very um, distraught by this fact. Uh, I guess it's because he realizes he's running out of time to get. He's running out of time, back. but also that, that that other Marty is with my mom, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you, if you saw someone that looked like you with your mother, that would not go down. Yeah. I think there's also probably that one element where, you know, you always see yourself in the mirror. So you're only seeing the reflection of yourself. So when you see yourself in a reflection of the reflection, yeah, you, you know, yeah. it's kind of dis- dis- disturbing. I think there's a little bit of that going on. He's yeah, like, Wait sure. a minute, my face, is that really me in the car? My face isn't, do I look like that really? I don't know. I think there's that. That's a good point. Yeah. Why, why do I have a mullet? Yeah. <laughs> that's like a, that's like a, a Lovecraftian voice. thing. It's like, it's something you're not meant to see. And so it kind of makes you go yeah. crazy. So having him <laughs> scowl, I think is a good. <laughs> indicator for that. I had never thought that this, that that would be a subtle nod to HP Lovecraft, but I'm with everything, you. Everything, right. everything, <laughs> everything is. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, so one thing that I, I noticed in this minute, because, because right after that, Marty's determination, you know, goes up to 11 and oh, yeah. he, hop, he hops the railing and does sort of this silent like ninja landing onto the <laughs> onto the steps. Not, not silent um, enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely not silent enough because because Biff hears it and thinks it's coming. It's coming from his right. Um, yeah. <laughs> some sort of echo. echo Again, I love his reactions are so over exaggerated. It's like, look up wide eyed. Look to the right. Look to your left. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to your magazine. Yeah, this is definitely, um, you know, we keep talking about the the Metal Gear Solid stealth mission, but this this really does feel like like the stealth missions that you'll see in, um, you know, in like uh, dungeons in in the Zelda games or something. Yeah, um, 
you gotta you gotta sneak up on somebody. It's one uh, of the the pig troll guards or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You gotta you know take the almanac from the. Pig uh, and and Marty's got to stay away from the. Uh, yeah, this is very Wind Waker. Uh, if you're yes. <laughs> which Zelda it's gonna be, but uh, it's a uh, Marty's got to stay out of the vision cone. Yes, <laughs> stealth mechanics. <laughs> absolutely yes. Uh, but one thing that I, I I noticed, and this is the second time that they've done this, because there there was this great stairs trick that he pulled in uh, Ultra 1985 when he's running away from Biff's gang, who are all chasing him uh, down the stairs. He he turns a corner. You have two sets of stairs going going up and down, right? And he crosses over, um, and they keep going down, not realizing that he's crossed over to the upstairs well, and. Uh, and I just I just realized that this movie makes some really great use out of vertical space, which is not usually something that movies do. Mm. Usually movies use horizontal space because that's what you typically see in the frame. But mm-hmm. the, the, this movie in particular ha- uses vertical space in a really interesting way that I, I don't you don't see a lot. Um, and I really like that. Uh, Cause you know, he starts out above Biff and now he's below Biff and that's, I don't know. It's just, it's not something that you see a lot of. I mean, do you want to, do you want to go into the fact that he sees another iteration of himself and then hops over the, uh, sort of the prime meridian of the, the Mobius strip <laughs> to a different level of his DNA. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is getting deep. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm into it. Keep going, Paul. That's all. Uh, <laughs> no, but well, if you no, but I mean, if you like, I'm. I, I, I well, doubt. Well, you don't want to go insane. I, I understand. Doubt, you, you need to stop now. Yeah, I don't want to go. Yeah, it's yeah. mountains of madness. I don't want. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, like if if you if you talk about you know what Dave said, like it's the it's the mirror image of himself, and you could also say like he's going to the like you know the mirror image of the steps, like he's he's giving oh, up the higher ground and going to the lower ground. Uh, and you're dealing with levels, so that's where you get into the vertical space stuff. So he's he's uh, he's above Biff, but he knows that he needs to get on a different plane. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm getting into Jeff Goldblum territory. <laughs> when, uh, uh, dinosaurs. When, listen, listeners, when you get to minute 79 and Paul is sobbing in the corner, you'll understand why. <laughs> Drip, dripping uh, droplets of water onto his Right. <laughs> But, but I do, I do love like just the the cinematic nature of the sequence. Like he drops down, the hand is reaching up to the back pocket of Biff, and then uh, is it Strickland? Is that yeah. what? Uh, yeah. As Strickland. he comes, I mean, what it, it's it. I love the choreography. You know, I know it's so simple, it's almost silly, but the fact that Biff turns away from Strickland, but that also you know moves his ass away from the railing so that <laughs> yeah. so that marty can't grab the almanac it's kind of this it, it, it's it's one of those it's i know it's so simple but it's one of those things where it serves two purposes this move makes sense to hide the magazine that he's holding in his hands from strickland but it also moves it the thing that marty wants away from him so i love it when films even in small ways can serve two purposes at once you know uh, uh you know him protecting one thing you know also it creates a greater obstacle for Marty. So to me, that's the, the absolute crux of this minute. It's very, it's very, really, uh, it's really good choreography. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's very like, yeah, a, like, yeah. like a Jack and the Beanstalk cartoon kind of thing where like, you know, you, you have one character who it's always fun when one character doesn't know that the other character is there and mm-hmm. they have, they have cross purposes and it's not, so it's not just like we were talking um in the previous episodes this week about how, uh, 
um, you know, each each character in the scene is going to have a motivation, and they're going to be obstacles. It's and so usually you have like the the most exciting scenes are you know, scenes where those those motivations are directly opposed to each other, um, and that's where you have like a you know a, a bargaining scene. Uh, or a, or a dual scene, that kind of thing. This is another one of those where I don't know what you would call it, but where one character doesn't even know that the other character is there, and that's where you can get into some great slapstick stuff, and and it, it comes down to choreography like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it, it's really great, but I will have to say, even since I was a kid, watching this this sequence in particular, I was always really frustrated with Marty because. If he grabbed that almanac from below, it's going to work like a lever and just poke Biff in the ass, right. making <laughs> right. it very obvious that he's taking something out of his pocket. Right. Um, yeah, there's and, no way that plan would have worked, right? No, so, no. So, so the, fact, the fact that he's being sneaky about it is really silly to me because I'm just like, just grab it and run. Like, what's right, he going right. to do? So, like, the best way to do it would have been to poke back into the school auditorium, grab a fishing pole, and then hook yeah. the almanac that way. That's well, how you're also Paul, you're also forgetting that he's disguised wonderfully. So if he were to take it and run, he could immediately dive into a crowd and and, and Biff would have no idea who it was, you know? Because uh-huh. right. he's wearing a completely, you know, uh, unobtrusive uh, fedora and motorcycle jacket. Well, you know? as we learned from last and minute, jeans. all he would have to do is turn a corner and look into the wall and Biff right. would just run right past yeah. him. Just another motorcycle fedora guy, you know, <laughs> leaning on a wall like you do in 1955. Right, sure, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's as he's wearing 1950s camouflage. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really love so Strickland shows up and I really love that beat where where Strickland says, is that alcohol I smell? And Biff is like, I, I'm, I'm just a kid. I don't I don't even know what alcohol smells like because I'm too young <laughs> to drink it. Like I just it's it is such a sort of teenager move. And it's mm-hmm. honestly, it's very quick um for uh, for what we know of biff who who seems to be sort of a slow dumb guy he's constantly getting uh sayings wrong uh i i'm i'm surprised lots of um, lots, lots of malpropisms uh he's very like a ringo star kind of character but what <laughs> I, what i like what i really like is the delivery though is oh, that yeah. it's clear that he's not he doesn't believe that this is a good lie um he's just <laughs> playing the role um, he's not, he's not going full, um, up to 11 Eddie Haskell here where he's putting on the charm. <laughs> I like, was this is, just going to mention Eddie Haskell. Yeah, it's so funny that you said that. Okay. Yeah. But he's, he's not, <laughs> he's, he's not quite doing that. He's saying like, like yeah. another, another read of that line could be Eddie Haskell, but he's doing the read where it's like, th- I'm the, I'm the kid being caught. This is what I say. And so yeah. in that sense, it's again, I can't talk about one thing without referencing 17 other things, but it's like those old Looney Tunes where you had the, uh, the, the wolf or the coyote, uh, and the sheepdog and, uh, they both, you know, punch in the clock at the beginning mm-hmm. and they pass each other and good morning, George, good morning, Harry, that kind of thing. And it's like, we're just playing our roles here. And I, this is the, you know, this is what you say. This is time immemorial. I say, of course, I'm not drinking. Right, right. I'm not old enough to have tasted alcohol. So there's a, there's a canniness on his part of right. we're going to, we're doing this dance. Okay, fine. But there, in that there's this subtle exactly. aggression. 
there's a subtle aggression, right? There's just yes. like, I'm going to say this because what are you going to say to me? Like, yeah, I, I hadn't really dissected it that much. Mm, it's like, it's like, uh, that's it's like, what happens when you go minute by minute. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I, I know the password, you know, like, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know the secret words. And now that I've said this, like you, there's nothing you can, you oh, can we're do. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> also distracting Strickland while he's switching the cover Right of the of the almanac over the Ulala magazine, um, so he's he's trying to distract him while he's doing that behind his back, uh, which is uh, what you know grabs well, Strickland's spoilers. attention. Wait, is yeah, that what yeah. happens? Yeah, <laughs> we're only on minute seventy-eight here. I don't know what happens. Well, well, I mean, but we can't we can't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> about this, this, I mean, this is the moment where he does that. Um, and obviously we don't know that that's the outcome until, right. until next week sometime, but, um, and we get but, the, the main, possibly the greatest line delivery of, of this movie, um, uh, with, with Marty going, Ooh, la la. Um, <laughs> but, great. uh, uh, but I will say this minute ends on quite the cliffhanger because as you said, we don't know. So what we see is suddenly Strickland faced with the, uh, uh almanac. And, uh, mm-hmm. as far as we know, and, what a great way to end that minute! Like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what you don't want to happen, right? This, um, we're you know we're all comic book fans here, so this is very like this is like the, this gutter choice is very interesting. Or this would actually be like a page turn. It's literally a page yes, turn. Yes, it's it literally is, yeah. a page turn. <laughs> <laughs> the page oh. turn, page turn. Got it. Well, well, speaking of page turns, uh, I'm I've got my uh, copy on its on its way to me now because I backed it on Kickstarter. But Dave, tell us about uh, Lost Angels. Oh wow, uh, yeah. Thank you for for backing it. Um, that means a lot. Um, so Lost Angels is a comic book, uh, a graphic novel uh, that I will volume one of a graphic novel series, I will say, uh, that uh, I am cre- that I created with my artist partner, Chris Anderson. Um, and it it's run through Comic or Digital, a digital company uh, that is actually putting it put the entire first issue, not first issue, first graphic novel up on. Uh, the web. So if you go to lostangelscomic.com, you can actually read the entire thing for free just clicking through pages. Um, I would love it if you went to Comixology and bought it as a digital issue. Uh, then you you own the copy. You you download it to your iPad or, or reading device of choice and read it that way. I think or, that's the only way you can read my introduction. Is it, is it exclusive to the print edition? <laughs> actually, your introduction is exclusive to the print edition. Bam. Yeah. So, so the other thing is, as, as Scott mentioned, we successfully uh, did our Kickstarter run, which means we have copies in print. Uh, if you are a Kickstarter backer, they are on your way to, to you very soon, depending on what, what package you ordered, because uh, I think we still are doing some sketches and stuff like that. Um, but we will have those available on the website, on a website soon. And, uh, you know, if, I'm sure it will be, there will be links to it from lostangelscomic.com. So while I don't have that information particularly on hand, uh, if you uh, follow me on Twitter at Diacampo, uh, D-A-C-C-A-M-P-O, or you go to lostangelscomic.com, I'm sure we'll be letting you know when when copies are available. Um, and we're going to try and get them into bookstores and comic book stores too. So uh, I'm very proud of it. And um, go Dave, what's it, it about? Yeah, it about? I was going to say what's it about. Oh, I have to tell you that. I thought just because my insight into Back to the Future 2 would – would be enough 
like an instant buy. Like I got to know what this guy writes about. Uh, Lost Angels is the story of Alex Martinez, a 14-year-old girl who lives in a version of Los Angeles in which a giant alien spaceship city has crashed where Santa Monica used to be. Uh, In the nine years since then, they have become this new immigrant culture, the aliens in this city. Uh, The aliens happen to look very much like angels of our mythology, uh, whether they are or not, whether that is what the mythology is based on, we don't really know. We just know that ultimately, in reality, they are, you know, just another culture, uh, cultural part of L.A. And Alex attends an integrated high school for humans and angels. And so it is a coming of age story. It is a crime story. Um, so, as it's, one of, uh, uh, so it's John Hughes meets Alien Nation. Yes, that is how I describe it. <laughs> is that my wait? The, do I, I have the blurb on there, right? It's yeah. uh, Paul's it's, blurb on it is a Veronica Mars meets alienation. Oh, okay. Um, right. But the John Hughes thing is apt because the other quote we have from it from Pipe Dream Comics is like Neil Gaiman rescripting The Breakfast Club, oh, which is a quote that really too. means. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, so yeah, it is very John Hughes in some ways. Uh, it definitely, uh, since we're talking about back to the future, it definitely has like a lot of my eighties influences, but it is a coming of age story about a girl who is human, but doesn't, but lives with the angels, but doesn't get along with the angels, but doesn't get along with the humans because she lives with the angels. It's your classic, uh, social misfit story. Um, and she, of course, in Veronica Mars style is the only one who can solve a crime that happens when one of her uh, uh, classmates is killed. And so that complete mystery is told in the first volume, which is uh, subtitled Paradise High. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, you guys should uh, definitely check that out. I, I read the first issue. I haven't read the entire run yet because I wanted to save that for the, for the print edition. Nice. Um, but I've read the first uh, 20, 22 pages, whatever the first issue encompasses. But uh I, I read that and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to wait because I know he's planning a print <laughs> edition and I want to read it like that. Um, and now I get, uh, I get, uh, I get no spoilers and I get uh, Paul's introduction, which is going to be nice. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, so definitely go check that out guys. And uh, while you're checking that out, while you're on the internet, checking that out, you can also check out duelinggenre.com which is uh, the website where uh, this podcast is located. You can leave comments there, that sort of thing. You can also email the show, contact backtothefutureminute.com if you want to do that. We're on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. Go check out our other podcasts. Our Patreon is duelinggenre.com slash support. And uh, by supporting us at the $5 level or higher, you get all of the bonus content uh, that we that we have available Um including uh, bonus podcasts like No Roads Edition, as well as Nick and I's Not Writing podcast, uh, which is sort of our fuzzy typewriter in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, the whole conceit of the show is what do Nick and I talk about uh, when we're not writing? Uh, because when we would work on things over Skype, inevitably the first hour, hour and a half of our conversation would be completely unrelated to what we should be talking about. Uh, and so we decided that we should just start recording those conversations, and that's what not writing is. Um, so uh, if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, you can support us on Patreon and get that podcast as part of that uh, that $5 subscription fee. Um, and we, we appreciate that, and all of that money goes back into our other podcasts, including this one 
and uh, things like uh, server fees and, and all of that stuff. So, um, And of course, uh, special thanks, as always, to our Patreon associate producers, David Jeffries and Leaper182. And we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 79. Bye.